Before I read the scripture, I have the privilege of announcing this month's Dollar for Mission, which we will take you next month. This is the third Sunday. Uh, our Dollar for Mission next week will be collected for the six adult teenagers, you may say, who are uh, going to the Dominican Republic under the guidance of our pastor, Keith, to work in the orphanage in um, Santo Domingo. So that's will be collected for next week for our dollar for mission. Our scripture today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. If you have one of the Bibles from the back of the church, you'll find those verses on page 818 of uh, the scripture. And we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 9 and then skip to verses uh, 18 through 23. So beginning with Matthew 13, verse 1, the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And moving to verse 18, the parable of the sower explained. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, Immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understand it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. My name is Matt Troop, and I am um, from Fresno, California, which is in the, in the middle of the state. And my family and I moved there uh, into that area in 2008 to plant a church. And uh, in, the, in those early days that are so 
sort of important. You all supported us, uh, and I think continue to, to pray for us, certainly, but, but uh, in a number of important ways, you, you've supported that church plant, and we wouldn't be here, humanly speaking, without you. So thank you for your love and your participation. The, the church has grown. We're in a, a, a pretty nice building now. It takes a little while. You know, you, you're on people's couches for a long time when you first start, and, uh, and so now we actually have like a legitimate building. We feel like grown-ups, and uh, um, the church is still, you know, relatively small, about 100 people, and, uh, but, but a lot of great people that love the Lord and are serving Him and um, a lot of great things going on. We have two deacons now. We had another elder who got a job transfer and had to move. Um, so if you would pray that the Lord would uh, raise up more leaders and really just give us fruit in the uh, community that we're in. We're in a pretty um, challenging part of Fresno, a lot of poverty, a lot of homelessness, a lot of drug use, uh, gangs, things like that. And so we, uh, uh, we want to shine the light in a place like that. And uh, of course, we need the power of God to do that. So... This morning, we're going to be talking about the topic of busyness, and this passage here that we started with, I think, is a good place to start because there's massive crowds of people following Jesus, and Jesus is the most amazing teacher that's ever lived, right? He's, he's I mean, who's going to argue that he's not the greatest communicator, teacher, mentor, what, you know, whatever word you want to use in the history of the world, and his apostles, his apostles are there, and crowds of people are thronging, sometimes so busy that there's a traffic jam, and they can't get through, and, and yet many of the people are not believing. In chapter 11, Jesus, uh, it says that Jesus rebuked the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So lots of those crowds are not believing, and so Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and it is both an explanation and a warning. It's an explanation of why so many are not believing. It's not because he's failed some way or the promises of God or the kingdom has failed. Uh, it is because of the heart condition of those who hear the word. And it serves as a warning to us to not let those things be a factor in our hearing of the word. And I just want to point out one, one of the soils because that's what I'm going to focus on today, what I believe is an expression of that. And that is in verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, in the plant world, this does not sound very violent, but plants die when they're choked, just like you and me, okay? But like, think about you. You're, you're, you're the plant, and certainly if, if someone said, hey, there's someone that's going to choke you, that they're literally going to put their hands around your neck and they're going to squeeze the life out of you, you would be pretty concerned. You might go take a self-defense class. You might start, you know, carrying a concealed weapon or something like that, right? You'd be like, I am not going to be choked to death. This is what Jesus says. It is possible to hear the eternal and living word of God from the Son of God in your presence and, and it have no fruit in your life because you're being choked, because someone or something has its hands around your throat and it's choking the life out of the word of God. Now, I believe that one of the main things that is choking the life out of the word of God and fruitfulness in our souls in America today is busyness. Busyness, whatever word you wanna put on it, overload, uh, super busy, crazy busy, you know, everybody's writing books about this. This is a, a topic that is very important, and I think it is relevant, and I, and I want to make a little defense as to why I'm talking about this, because uh, as Americans, we are growing in our busyness. Researchers tell us that this is true, uh, but perhaps one of the most revealing things is the way we talk about ourselves. 
Now, I'm at a disadvantage because I don't live in Owensboro, but I can tell you in Fresno, and I've heard of people talking about this in LA and New York and in big cities around the country, that it, it almost has become the common response when someone says, how are you doing, to say, oh, busy. I'm busy. In fact, one lady, I was reading an article, she's writing about this, where she kind of made one of those New Year's kind of resolutions, like, I'm not going to say that I'm busy anymore. And she, she was sort of freaking out because she realized that she was saying this all the time. It's one of the ways that we describe ourselves. And in some circles, it's an indication of status or importance. It's like carrying a pager or a big ring full of keys. It means that people need you and that you are significant because you're so busy. And so we say, we're busy. I'm, su I'm super busy. I'm running from one thing to the next. Richard Swenson is a physician and a uh, Christian, and he has written on this topic. He's written a book called Margin, which is a pretty good book. It's not a perfect book. There are none, but it's a pretty good book, and I would recommend it if this is a topic that is important to you. And uh, the book's not a very big book. It's, you know, in the 200-page range. And what he found is that most people who need to read that book are too busy to read that book. So he wrote a smaller devotional book called A Minute of Margin. It's, it's almost like a little blog post before there were blogs. And I have no idea what he would be writing now, right, if, if he, you know, he was writing this before cell phones. But, you know, they're little two-page little uh, meditations on being busy. And the truth is, a lot of busy people don't have time to think or read about that. Um, and Christians have been pointing this out for a while. But it is remarkable to me that many unbelievers, a growing number of unbelievers, are pointing this out as well. The people that we charge with helping us to stay sane and healthy are noticing this. Um, so for instance, the American Psychological Association um, publishes a survey called Stress in America. They've been doing this since 2007. And they find that the majority of Americans recognize that their stress levels exceed the levels necessary to maintain good health. And this is a quote, the most frequent reason they cite for not addressing the problem, being too busy. I'm, you know, just got this little thing right around my neck and I'm just too busy to deal with it. It's choking the life out of me and I'm just too, you know, I gotta, I gotta be someplace so I can't handle this. This is not only a problem, I think, for modern people all over the world, I think it is, but it is especially a problem for Americans. And I don't mean to say that <clears throat> we're worse than everyone, but everybody has patterns of sin. We, we've been preaching through the book of Titus at our church, and uh, Paul quotes uh, a Greek philosopher, a Greek poet, describing the people of Crete, and he says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's a cultural pattern of sin. It's not a compliment if someone calls you a Cretan in case you didn't know that, okay? So one of the patterns of sin that we as Americans have is being busy and being overcommitted. And this is not a new problem, okay? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you something that's, that's pretty old, written by Alexis de Tocqueville, who was a Frenchman who visited America when it was a young democracy, and he wrote uh, a, a couple of books called Democracy in America. This was around 1830. One of the chapters of that book is called why the Americans are so restless in the midst of their prosperity. And de Tocqueville says this, quote, In America, I saw the freest and most enlightened men placed in the happiest circumstances that the world affords. It seemed to me as if a cloud habitually hung upon their brow. And I thought them serious and almost sad, even in their pleasures, the chief reason for this is they are forever brooding over the advantages 
they do not possess. It is strange to see with what a fervish ardor the Americans pursue their own welfare and to watch the vague dread that constantly torments them lest they should not have chosen the shortest path which may lead to it. End quote. He would have had a stroke today. Right? This is 1830, right? This is a long time ago. And he notes all of these amazing privileges, and yet the people are so unhappy because they are so worried about making sure they have more and more and making sure they get there as quickly as they can. What this means is that for a very long time, Americans have been driven to get more and more faster and faster, and that amounts to a lot of busyness. We are a busy people. And the problem with this is unconsciously we use busyness as an excuse for why we neglect important things. Basic things, fundamental things like our health or like spending time with your family or spending time in prayer or gathering with God's people. And you know what, what happens is we, we fundamentally live under this, this misconception that we're the exception. Well, my circumstances are special, so I know, I know most people need to spend time with their kids, but you know, I'm in this unique situation where I have this job, and it's a very important calling, and people depend on me, and so, I, so, so I'm the exception. You're, you're not the exception. Being busy, might, it might be a reality. You may have phases of life where you can't escape it. We are, those, there's all times like that for us, but if you choose to live your life like this, you, you might think that you're exception, but you're not, and you will not be the exception to the consequences. It is not okay to neglect important priorities because you're too busy. It is not okay to neglect your relationship with Christ because you're too busy. It's not okay. I'm just going to be the voice. I'm just going to be the voice that, that tells you, that's stupid. That's a lie. It's not okay. You're deceiving yourself. It's not okay. Right? And, and part of what you, I think what you need to do is hopefully you have someone close to you. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a close friend, someone in a small group. If you, you, know, if you don't, you need to get a friend. You're probably too busy. If you don't have a friend like that, it might be because you're too busy. Okay? Uh, but you need to sit down and be able to ask someone who can honestly help you see this. Say, am I too busy? Am I neglecting important priorities because I'm too busy? It is hard to shepherd people that are busy as a pastor. By the way, pastors are some of the worst at this, so you pastors here, listen up. You need to make sure that you're busy with the right things. But if you want to shepherd people as a pastor, it is difficult to do because very often people that are super busy, they, they are already at their wit's end trying to get things done, and they don't perceive the loving, caring shepherd asking them about what's going on in their life as a blessing. They're like, I'm just busy, and this is just one more obligation and one more voice. And yet the truth is being a follower of Jesus Christ takes time. You cannot have a living, growing, joyful relationship with Christ if you are too busy. It takes time. It takes time to fellowship with other believers. You're going to spend time with other Christians? You're going to eat with them? You're going to, we're going to say, we're going to be a church like the New Testament church, like the book of Acts. They got together and ate meals and fellowshiped and they prayed and they served and they sacrificed together. It takes time to do that. It takes time to pray. It takes time to read God's word. Coming to worship takes time. But it is possible that you are so busy with good things that you are missing the best things. 
See, it's really clear when someone is doing something really bad, like, you know, you're cooking meth in your backyard or something like that. Uh, yes, it's pretty clear, right? We're going to have a conversation about this. But you know what? Most of us are not busy with things that are really bad. We're busy with things that seem to be good. They seem to be virtuous. They're, virtuous. They're lawful. They, they have a place, and yet they take over our lives. And, and I think this idea of being busy, so busy with good things that we miss the best things, is at the heart of the biblical story of Mary and Martha. In Luke chapter 10, we read this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. By the way, this is what will happen if you're a really busy person, and you, you decide to stop being a really busy person, all the other busy people are going to tell on you <laughs> that you're no longer busy enough. They're going to go tell the Lord, hey, tell them to get busy. Um, but the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And you know what? Serving food to the Lord Jesus is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Being, being hospitable is a good thing. But Jesus says one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So I think this is an important topic for us. And what I'd like to do is walk through this and hopefully give you some encouragement. First, let's, let's, let me give you what I would like to offer as a definition of busyness and then a few scriptures to, to understand the concept, and then we'll move from there. So here's my definition of busyness. Chronic overactivity that is beyond our capacity that drains our resources and leads to the neglect of biblical priorities. So chronic. This is, I'm not talking about seasons of busyness. We all have those. The student at finals week or the mother with an infant or the farmer at harvest. You know, those are busy seasons. All of us have busy seasons we can't escape. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the lifestyle of chronic and continual busyness. And it is the lifestyle where we go beyond our limits where we write checks that we cannot cash. You make a commitment and there's actually no room on the calendar. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. If we were talking about money, we would say that we're living beyond our means in debt, bouncing checks. But in terms of time, it means maybe that we work too much. Maybe that we don't take enough time for real rest. I think some of us don't even know what that means. In fact, if you're busy and you've been busy for a long time, you might, you might actually say, I don't even know what rest means anymore. I've, forgo I've forgotten that language. It might mean that we don't get enough sleep. It might mean that we just can't say no to people, that we overcommit, or we spend our lives doing things that don't matter. And this leads us to neglect. We leave important things undone because we have spent our energy in other places. I find that financial illustrations are helpful when it comes to time because sometimes we don't follow along. So neglect, imagine, imagine this from a time perspective. Imagine the financial situation where you get paid and you know, your rent's coming up in about a week and a half, but you really want that big screen TV. So you take your paycheck and you go buy your big screen TV and it's great for about three or four days. And then it comes time to pay the rent and you don't have any money because you spent it all. We do that with our time and we spend it on things that don't matter and then we have nothing left for the things that do. And of course, the, the most important things are biblical priorities. When we're chronically busy like this, it results in ignoring or being careless about the most important things. 
Now, now if we go to the Bible, if you get out of thesaurus and you look up busy or busyness, you're not going to find a lot of passages that talk about this in, in terms of modern, the modern struggle. Some of that is because of, of the, the modern life. But there are almost all of the elements of busyness are talked about in Scripture. So, for instance, haste, being in a hurry. Busy people are often in a hurry. And this is what Proverbs 19 says, 19.2. Desire without knowledge is good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Busy people often feel like they're in a rush. They are frequently late. They often feel like they're trying to play catch up. Just like, just like when you don't have enough money to pay your bills. You always feel like you're waiting for the next check. The busy person is always playing catch up with their time. When you're in a rush, you miss your off-ramp. You forget important dates, like maybe your anniversary or a birthday, and then you're in real trouble. And then you're really busy after that, right? When we're too busy, we don't have time for quiet contemplation of God's Word and for prayer. We don't have room for long, unrushed conversations with our children, with our spouses, with our friends. When you're in the rush of busyness, this strange thing can happen. You can be in the middle of experiencing the most incredible milestones and events in your life, and you don't know it, and you don't appreciate it. You feel like you're a spectator at your own wedding. It's like this is supposed to be this amazing time in my life, but I'm just so busy running from one thing to the next that I haven't appreciated it. So rush is rushing and haste is one thing. The Bible also talks about distractions. We saw that in uh, Mary and Martha. We saw that in the parable of the sower. But Luke 14, uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the kingdom of heaven being a feast. And, and everyone is invited to this amazing feast. Imagine it's, it's, the, it's the party that the king is having. And it's, uh, you know, it's rich and it's amazing. But people don't come and they make excuses. And those excuses seem important to them. They are distractions. And so in Luke 14, we read this, the time for the banquet. At that time, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. The Bible talks about excuses and distractions that keep us from the kingdom. And it also talks about restless, anxious activity. And I think one of the key texts, if you want to meditate on this and go a little bit further, read Psalm 127. This is part of that psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Here it is. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. This psalm is about the busy man in the ancient world. The man that works long days, but he can't stop and he can't sleep because he believes his success all depends on him. He thinks that he can control the world, that he can build the house, that he can guard the city, that he can, he can manage the retirement fund, or he can, you know, whatever. You fill in, you fill in the blank of whatever, you, whatever city you're trying to build or guard. He believes that he can do that. He can control it by simply working longer and working harder and working more and sleeping less. And this is set in contrast, this kind of anxious toil is tied to unbelief. It does not trust God's care. 
And so it won't even allow us the blessing of a full night of sleep. Busyness often involves this kind of anxious toil, this frantic activity trying to get stuff done. And when we are engaged in this over-busy, overdrive kind of life, we have trouble resting. I will take a moment to... This is, this is uh, one of my sins that I struggle with, and my wife and I have been on a journey for about 15 to 20 years reading, talking about this, learning how to slow down, learning how to, learning how to actually enjoy life and serve Jesus and enjoy people and make time for one another. Uh, but here's, here's what I do. I'm the, I'm the guy here in Psalm 127. Um, I find that I get a lot done. I'm very productive. In fact, I probably get m- more work done than you do, most of you anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm a productive person. I can accomplish a lot. But what happens is when I stop working, when I slow down and I stop and I turn everything off, all of a sudden I am more aware of all the problems in my life. And what has happened is work has become sort of a substitute to deal with fear and with guilt and with shame and with anxiety and with all of the frustrations and discontent in my life. And so work becomes a kind of anesthetic. It's like pain medicine. And when the pain medicine starts to wear off, the pain comes back. You know, and here's the the, the reality, okay? Here's the, here's the, the reality. Work Your work, your activity, your busyness, or even your hobbies were not designed to deal with your fear, guilt, and shame. Only Jesus Christ can do that. It's a a false idol when we pursue it that way. And so for someone like me, often when I stop working, the anesthesia wears off and I feel miserable. And what I need to do is not go and hide my misery in my work, but go to Jesus Christ. And so the wonderful promise in this passage is that God says it is vain to live this way. It is vain to rise up early and to stay up late and to eat the bread of anxious toil. It doesn't work. In the end, a crazy, busy, over-busy, overloaded, overcommitted life doesn't work. It won't make you happy. It's just going to give you a heart attack and high blood pressure and a stroke and put you in the grave, okay? It doesn't work. Now, the effects of this in our life maybe are a little surprising. One of them is lack of rest, and I don't, I don't mean that we don't just sleep because for being a person that works a lot, I actually sleep fine. So I'm not talking about sleep so much, although many of us do struggle with that, but that the pace of our schedules are so full that we seldom feel truly rested. Our spirits are exhausted and burdened. Let me ask you this morning, when was the last time you truly felt rested? Or maybe, maybe this happens once in a while where you're, you're in a position where you're forced to take a nap because maybe you almost drove off the road because you fell asleep or something like that. And you took a nap and you woke up and you suddenly say, I, I feel like a human being again. Or maybe, maybe you had a good few days of vacation and you say, I actually truly feel rested. But sadly, for some people, it's been years since we felt that way. Or we take that break or we get that nap and we say, I should do this more often. And, uh, and so the next time we get to that is an, an, another year or so at the next holiday. And unfortunately, what happens when we can't rest we take more stimulants to keep us going. I need more coffee. I need more Red Bull. I need another monster. I need something else to keep me going because there's no gas in the tank. But eventually we crash and the bill comes due. When I was first out of high school, I worked in construction and one of my jobs was to make sure that the the van had all the equipment. And so I was supposed to bring the cordless drills 
to work, right? So we could do what we had to do. And, and this was in the, in the 90s. And so we had two or three cordless drills and we had one charger. And so the night before, I was supposed to make sure that everything was in the charger so that the next morning it was ready to go. Well, once in a while, I would forget to do that. And so we would show up on a job site with no charged batteries. And that's really bad. Your boss does not like that. And so I would try to play this game and, and act like I hadn't really forgotten it. And so um, as soon as we got there, I would go and plug in the charger and I would pu put the battery in there and go unload the rest of the stuff. And it was on there for maybe five or 10 minutes. And then I would pull it out and put the other one in there. And then I would go to work and, and I might be able to drive maybe four or five screws until the battery died. And then I would run back over and I would switch the battery and get the other one. And I'd be able to drive maybe two or three screws. And it was this very frustrating, a little bit comical situation that kind of reflects our lives when we are uncharged. We need time to recharge. I can remember as a young man, and it was probably blasphemous, kind of being angry that God made a day with only 24 hours and made me need to sleep. Do you realize God arranged it so that you would have to be unconscious for one third of your life? And some of us, especially if you're a person that defines yourself by what you get accomplished, you're like, that's horrible. This horrible thing. And you know why God did that? God did that to remind you that you're not him. God did that to humble you to show you that you need rest. You are like a battery that needs to be recharged. And acknowledging that, like you are weak. You're a human being and you are weak, but acknowledging that is not a form of weakness. It's a form of wisdom. It's, a, it's actually a form of strength. And people who get this will actually be more happy and ironically more productive in the long run. Now, sometimes we can't rest because we're overloaded and overcommitted. We, t we take too much time uh, at work and we don't make time for rest and for Sabbath which is very important, right? It's one of the 10 big rules that God gave us to rest. Uh, and sometimes we're, we're, we're overloaded because of that, but sometimes it's because of technology. Sometimes what, what happens is because we've forgotten how to rest and how to be quiet and how to sit still and how to have a conversation, we fill all of our time off with screens, okay? And I'm not against screens. I have screens. I like screens. I watch stuff on screens, I have a Facebook account, right? Okay, I, like, so I, like I'm not anti-screen, but you have, to, you have to understand, and researchers are telling us this, is that if you want to rest and recharge and you spend your whole day, you spend 12 days on your day off looking at a screen, the light that came from this and the activity that came from this stimulated your brain in a way that is not restful. There's an unconscious part of your brain that is doing a lot of work to look at this screen. And so if you spend your whole weekend looking at a screen, you may have the situation where you go back to work on Monday and you're like, man, I can't believe it. I'm just so tired. Because sometimes technology is not very restorative and we have to be aware of that. And uh, so get this, busyness can make us feel exhausted and can also keep us from getting the rest that we need to recover. Busyness, one of the other effects is pain. The frantically busy person almost always ends up in pain. It can be physical pain. Dr. Su Susan Coven, she's an internal medicine doctor at Massachusetts General, and in 2013, excuse me, she wrote a column in the Boston Globe, says this, quote, in the past few years, I have observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it's easy to recognize the condition is excessive busyness, end quote. Those little hands right around your throat, choking the life out of you. And this person, I don't know, I don't know if she's a believer or not. She's certainly not making a case 
you know, for walking with God. She's talking about being a healthy human being. And busyness is bringing pain into our lives, physical pain or emotional pain. It can contribute to those things like anxiety and depression and a host of other problems. But perhaps one of the most important things when it comes to to busyness and to fellowship is that it brings pain to our relationships. When our lives are full of anxious activity and restlessness, almost always the first thing that suffers is our relationships. And the reason is relationships take time. It takes time. I, and I, I, I've learned this in some ways in the hard way, but uh, thankfully I had some people that told me this, but we, we've just um, kind of graduated our last child who, he's, he's 18, but he graduated from high school last year and, and uh, now he's on you know, to kind of enter the adult world. And one of the things that I found is you can't schedule a great 10-minute conversation with your teenager. Right? If, you, if you can, let's talk, because i got to figure out what the magic is. You can't, you can't say to your 15-year-old, hey, tomorrow at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a life-changing 10-minute conversation. Make sure you're ready for this, okay? This doesn't work that way. It's like a flower, right? You got, like when the flower opens up, the bee has to be able to be there. You, like when your kid starts to want to talk about their problems and their school and the, the girl that they're falling in love with or marriage or temptation, you, like that's the time you got to clear your calendar and you got to be there. Relationships work that way, whether we're talking about kids or something else. It takes time. It takes lots of time. And this is the reason why many marriages are in trouble. It's because the husband and the wife are too busy to truly talk to get below the surface of just kind of the, the, you know, the weather kind of like those like surface things and get down to the deep stuff, that takes time. And so husband and wife can become like ships passing in the night and the marriage starts to fail and pain starts to build up. Husbands, you got to ask yourself, you got to ask your wife about this. Wives, you got to ask, maybe are you too busy? Is there too much going on? Is one of the reasons why your marriage is having a problem is because you don't take time. I think this is really the issue behind the whole idea of like you need to date your wife. It's not about going to a fancy restaurant, although that can be fine. It's not about flowers, although that's nice. It's actually about making time to build that relationship, have conversation, and to love one another. And this is also a reason why many children are neglected because of busyness. And the reality is you may not be there because of busyness, and that's bad. Or you might be there, but you're not really there. Emotionally, you're not present with your kid or with your kids, you're distracted. Maybe you're distracted with Instagram or Pinterest or what other new social media platform is gonna come out this year and you know, disrupt the whole world. Like whatever it is, you're not there with your kids. Your children may feel like, you may, you may feel like your children are an interruption to something else that's going on. You need to mark this down. When we are too busy, almost always relationships suffer first and the most. And the this is biblically important. The point of life is all about relationships. The first and most important relationship is your relationship with God. He's a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he made you in his image to have relationship with him and to have relationship with other people. And that takes time. And when you don't have time, you cannot nurture those relationships. You can't walk with God. You can't experience deep and meaningful fellowship with other Christians without spending time with them. Now, where does busyness come from? Uh, well, there's, there's really a couple kinds of busyness. The one that you, is imposed on you, you know, if you're poor and you have a sick child and you have three jobs and you're trying to make ends meet, you didn't really choose that, right? You, that's just the way circumstances are. But that's not most of us in America. Most of us have chosen a level of busyness that is unhealthy. And what I would like to say is, as I mentioned a couple of these, that you don't have to live that way. You might have to sell your house and move. You might have to get rid of your smartphone or your 
or you cancel your cable subscription. You, I mean, you might have to do some pretty radical things, but you don't have to live that way. You can, you can change. So the, the culture around us is giving us this pressure. One author, uh, his name's Greg McCown. He's not a Christian, uh, but he's written a book called Essentialism. I recommend the book. It's very good. And um, he, he says that we boast about being busy because we're caught up in what he calls the more bubble. This is the idea that we can have it all and do it all and achieve it all. Have you ever heard someone say you can do anything? You ever heard people, like, they're like the life coach, the success coach. You can do anything. You can do whatever. That's stupid. You cannot do anything. You are a human being. You cannot fly. You cannot make a day 28 hours. You have to sleep. Right? You, you can't do anything. You can do a lot of things, but you can't do anything. So we believe we can have it all, do it all, and achieve it all. This is what McCown writes, quote, this bubble, this more bubble, is being enabled by an unholy alliance between three powerful trends. Okay, not a Christian. Okay, this is not, it's not some screaming Baptist preacher, you know, in a church someplace. This guy is an unbeliever at Stanford writing a book about busyness and priorities. This bubble is being enabled by an unholy alliance between three powerful trends, smartphones, social media, and extreme consumerism. The result is not just information overload, but opinion overload. We are more aware than at any time in history of what everyone else is doing and therefore what we should be doing. In the process, we have been sold a bill of goods that success means being supermen and superwomen who can get it all done, end quote. There's also this idea of the, of the good life uh, that our culture tells us. Um, there's, a, there's an article called Why We're All Failing at Life and a List of Everything You're Supposed to Be Doing to Succeed uh, by Tamara Cagle. And she's, she's writing about why everyone's so busy. And she mentions that she was completely overwhelmed by all the advice that the experts have given her about what she's supposed to do to stay healthy as a woman. And then she makes a list that's five pages long of all the advice and the recommended practices from fitness to diet to brain exercises and to wellness habits. And she, she gives all these references and it would take 20 hours a week just to do all those things. Just to be the kind of healthy, you know, meditating, gluten-free, yoga practicing, grow your own tomatoes kind of person who really is in touch with their inner self, right? And what can happen is all this advice from the health experts, it can be as crushing as Sinai. Because then you get sick and you're like, oh, I guess if I was just taking my fish oil, I wouldn't have got sick. It's probably a lack of probiotics or something. You know, and, so then, and then we're guilty because, man, I'm not good enough to even be a healthy person in America. We got social media. Here's another thing. We refuse to acknowledge our limits. And perhaps the most important one is the boundary of time. And I, I think it's almost impossible for especially younger people to get this. Maybe all of us to some extent, but especially younger people. Like electricity is new in the history of the world. And for most of the history of the world, we didn't have electricity. And I mean, I always had it, right? But like most human beings didn't. And so when the sun went down, it was dark. And it was really expensive to like make it light because you had to have fire and you didn't want to waste all your fire, you know? So you, you like had one little candle and then you'd go to bed, right? And people slept at night when it was dark. And uh, we recently had an, a power outage at our house for about four hours and the lights were out and then there was no Wi-Fi, and then there was no television and our, and our phones didn't work and the internet didn't work. And, you know, I was just thinking to myself, for most of history, people lived without electricity, but we don't know how to do that anymore. We're so connected to everything, the lights and the activity and the, that franticness that, uh, we can now go past time. And so 
the sun goes down, we don't have to go to sleep, we can actually stay up 24 hours a day, and there are now 24-hour cities. And that can enable us to be, become very exhausted and very overcommitted. Technology also, in the form of cell phones, has allowed us to be constantly connected and, uh, and to be busy and active in a way that, that has never happened before. And what, what, is it, what is it about this? Why is this more attractive to, 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 to people? Why is this more interesting to me than my wife? Hey, do you ever go out to, do you ever go out to dinner? Like, I don't have a lot of money. So I go out to a nice restaurant. I want to enjoy it. I sometimes see whole families going out to a nice restaurant and there's, you know, there's, you know, mom and dad, maybe a brother and a sister or an aunt, and there's some kids, and none of them are looking at one another. They're all on their phones. It's like, why don't you stay at home and look at your phones at home? Why would you come and spend 150 bucks on a nice meal so that you could look at your phone? Maybe that's what vacation is now. I want to go someplace else and look at my phone. I want to, I want to look at my phone while I'm eating filet mignon or something like that. But this technology has distracted us. By the way, if you don't, if you don't understand this, the people at Facebook, kind of, I don't want to like demonize Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, but this is what the engineers at Facebook want to do. Their number one goal is to engineer that site and that app so that you will stay on it as long as possible. They want to keep you engaged on their thing as long as possible. And the way this works is, the, 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 traditionally we understand currency as like money and like that's what I have to make. I got, I got to get money, okay? The, the, the modern currency that is the most valuable thing is your attention. It's your time and your attention. And, you, and, by, and by the way, it's distributed in absolutely egalitarian terms. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, you get the same amount of time. And what the folks at Facebook and Google is they want you to voluntarily give them your attention because they're selling it. You are the bait that they're selling to advertisers. And, and they're very good at this. And they have people, I'm just telling you, they, they pay smart people millions of dollars to think about this 24 hours a day to, to figure out how to get you to stay on there as long as possible. And technology is making us busy in ways that are not healthy. Um, now, let's close in our, in our final time here and make a few responses. And the first one is you need to look to Jesus. And this is not just a cute kind of end of the sermon. This is a spiritual issue. You need to look to Jesus Christ. Busyness has practical, it has cultural factors, but deep down, it is a spiritual issue. There are spiritual components and there is a spiritual answer. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the call to salvation. The truth is, we will rest or be weary depending on who our master is. A yoke for you kids that may not know, is one of those harnesses that they would put on a horse or an ox or a donkey to pull something. We are all in a yoke. We're all, we all have a master and we all have a yoke that we're pulling. And depending on which yoke we are pulling, we will be rested or weary. And th this world and the yoke of the idols of this world will demand more and more from you without giving you true rest. That's the way that works. So if you're rushing, if you're, if you're in a race to get rich or to be successful or to be meaningful or to prove to your dad that you're good enough or to make those you know, people that you don't like in high school see that you actually were worth it all, you know, like whatever crazy things going on in your head, if you are serving the masters of this world, it will leave you exhausted and weary. But when we come to Jesus and we do serve Jesus and we get weary in his service, but it's not this kind of weariness, it's, there's a deep rest that he gives us for the soul. Here's the, here's the truth. Jesus can save you from your sins and he can save you from your schedule. It's a true story. 
Because you know what, if you're a Christian and you're a frantically busy person and you're sharing the gospel with your neighbor who has some common sense and who's not living this way, I've actually heard of conversations that happen like this, and the unbeliever would say, why would I want to be like you? Like you can never put your phone down. You're so unhappy. You're always racing around. You're like a stress ball. Why would I want to be like you? What does, what does Jesus offer in your life that I can't have? The truth is we need to go back to Jesus for rest because this is what he offers us. And let me point this, let me also point this out, is Jesus not only gives us spiritual rest, he gives us instructions about how to take physical rest. So like you take a day off, you Sabbath, you rest, you come to church, you worship, you stop working. There's a time where you need to stop working and you, and you rest at night and hopefully you have seasons of rest, whether you call that a vacation or a sabbatical or time away or whatever. We have holidays and celebrations where we rest. And the answer to all of this there's, there's good advice that we could take, but let me make this really clear. If, if the things I've described about neglecting biblical priorities are true of you because you're busy, the answer is repentance. The answer is to say, God, I have been choosing lesser things. I have chosen, my, I have chosen to be on my smartphone 20 hours a week and then say I don't have time to pray. True story, right? If you don't believe me, buy one of those little apps that tell you how much you're on your smartphone you'll be shocked at how much time you spend on this. I'm not against this. I got a cool, you know, one of the best apps is the, is the Desiring God Fighter Versus app. Help you memorize scripture. I love that thing. I use it a lot. A lot of great things your phone can do, but this thing can suck the life out of you because you know what this is? This little phone here is a window in which the entire world, good and bad, can reach through and touch you. You have, we have to use this with discernment. We have, to, we have to be careful. And if you can't or if you don't, the answer isn't just a new habit or a new pattern or a better paper journal or, you know, everything. The answer is repentance and getting biblical priorities from Christ. And when we talk about priorities, that, that's very important. Someone has said that only the lazy person can be busy. Because if you are really busy, it means you have been too lazy to do the hardest work of all, which is to figure out your priorities. Do you actually know what's important in your life? Like, actually know, like, this is important and this is not. The list of biblical priorities are fairly small. Time with God in worship, time with God's people in fellowship. We need to be, you know, taking the Bible in in some way on a regular basis, walking with him in prayer, right? Those are, those are pretty simple things. Time with our family, we have to have a job that we work at in some ways. The list of priorities is fairly small, and the world gives us other priorities, and we need to learn about what is really important. And I'm going to give you I'm going, to equip, I'm going to give you something that's going to just radically change your life here, okay? There's this very simple tool that you can use when it comes to your priorities. It's a, it's a, it's a word called no. 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 So when, when something comes up, you've got this list of priorities, and this other opportunity comes up that is so cool and it's so wonderful, but it will keep you from doing what's really important, your answer should be to say no. Can we practice that together? No. No. Some of us can't say no because we're afraid of disappointing people. They're like, oh, I just can never say no. They, do, you, do you want to be the chief of this thing? Do you want to run this thing? Or do you want to be in charge? Of, you want to coach the team this year or whatever? And you're already like three times as busy as you should be. And you just can't say no because you don't want to disappoint people. So here's another tool. When you say no, you can actually add something polite at the end. You could say like, no, thank you. Like, thank you for the offer. No, I'm sorry. I can't do that right now. I have some other commitments that are going on. Maybe, maybe you know, next year you know, maybe some other time, but right now I can't do that. There's, it's okay to say no, and we have to be able to practice that. And the reason why we say no is so that we can say yes. Years ago, I was, and I'll close here with this. Years ago, I was on a uh, parent-teacher committee, I think around the country, they call it PTA, 
in Fresno, they call it PTC, Parent Teacher Committee. And it was for the, uh, for the middle school. And uh, I was on this committee. And um, you know, there's mostly ladies and the principal and the president's there. And we're all talking about stuff. And, and as we're sitting there waiting for the meeting, the ladies are talking. And I kind of overhear them talking about how much trouble their marriages are in. They're like, oh, we're so, and we're so busy and this and that. And the divorce word is getting thrown around, you know, because of how busy and how much chaos. And, and then the meeting starts. And one of the things up for, you know, discussion is, well, there's the team and maybe it's the cheerleaders and they need the new uniform. And we, we got to do a fundraiser because we don't have money. And everybody's saying, but there's not enough money. And I don't even think there's enough volunteers to do this. And I, and I raised my hand and I said, well, why don't we just not do it? Why don't we just say no to that? You would have thought that I like said something really offensive right in front of them because the idea that like you would want to deny your kids the the middle school experience of having great uniforms and and pictures and all this kind of stuff. And so what happened is, and this always happens when we when we are too busy, is we make one choice, we say yes to one thing, and that means we say no to something else. And so by saying yes to doing uniforms, what they did is they said they said what my kids really need is uniforms, not a happy, happily married mom and dad who love them and have time for them and who can talk to them and spend time with them. They chose something else. Whenever we're too busy, we're doing that opportunity cost thing. We're choosing one to say yes to one thing and automatically we say no to something else. And we need, we need biblical wisdom and discernment to do this. And uh, we, we're gonna get that obviously from Jesus, but we're gonna get that in community as well. Now, as you work on this, I hope you will give some time thinking. Uh, I hope if this is a problem for you, this is going to be a long journey of reading and studying and repentance because busyness, dealing with busyness is like taking out the trash. You don't like, you don't take out the trash today and then it's taken out forever. It's going to come back at you. And so you're going to have to take out the trash a lot. I'm done. Let me pray. Lord, would you save us from our schedules? and from the frantic pace of American life? Would you save us from thinking that if we have good things, if we can accomplish more and acquire more, that we will finally be happy? Would you give us rest in Jesus? Would you grant us the peace and grace of repentance that we would know how to have uninterrupted conversations and time with you and time for rest and time for joy? In Christ's name, amen. That was too frantic. Too frantic of a prayer, brother. <laughs> I didn't have time. Would you stand with us? As we end our worship with more worship, as we sing, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed in white as snow.
Amen. You may be seated. All right, just a few announcements before we have our benediction. Adam Katiller is in Israel this week. So remember him and pray for him as he visits uh, Israel. Um, I, I meant to mention it. The reason why I mention it now because I meant to mention it in prayer and I neglected to do so. So let's pray for him. Um, also, the um, visitation for Randy's niece, Laura, um, is from 2 to 8 p.m. today at Glen, and then tomorrow from 12 to 2 at OCC, and the funeral will be 2 p.m. tomorrow at Owensboro Christian. Um, the final REACH missional motherhood study is this Tuesday at 10, 10 a.m. in the Learning Center. Uh, midweek prayer, 6 p.m. this coming Wednesday. Also, Pastor Keith, now that he's back, um, we'll be sharing briefly next Sunday about what God did in Cuba through he and Tom Casey's labors, and he'll be sharing a longer presentation the following Wednesday, July 26th, uh, in the Learning Center during our midweek gathering. Also, Michael and Ashley Amati will be with us at the end of the week. Their reception is this Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. Please RSVP to Elizabeth Byrne for the barbecue head count and bring a side or dessert if your family is planning to attend. Michael will also be giving a report at that reception and he'll be preaching for us next Sunday. We have two work days coming up. Next Saturday, June 22nd, we'll be focused on the inside of the building, getting it ready for school to start. And then June 29th, the following Saturday, we'll be on the outside of the building. Please attend whatever you're able to do so, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. on both of those Saturdays. Next Saturday, June 22nd, and then the following Saturday, June 29th. And then finally, to uh, fill up an already busy schedule, <laughs> fellowship meal. That's a time for rest. So fellowship meal next uh, it will actually be June 30th, two weeks. July, thank you. We're out of June. I lost that somewhere in the midst of all the busyness. We joke about it, but it's true. So July 30th, after church, um, and uh, thank Brandon and his team for those quarterly meals. We try to have them roughly on the fifth Sundays of every, every time we have one, and this is coming up at the end of July. Let's stand together, and I will give you uh, the benediction. The Lord Jesus reminds to us, church, to come to him, all of us who are weary and heavy laden. He will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him, for he is gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen. Amen.